Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So we have a big interview today. Just when Rolling Stone and everybody else had already made their best albums of the year list, an obvious candidate for at least the top five showed up. SOS by SZA, which is a really spectacular album from start to finish, and is the number one album in the world right now on streaming. SZA is, of course, one of the greatest genre-spanning artists of this era. People tend to describe her as an R&B or maybe an alt-R&B artist, but she's a lot more than that. She already showed that on her previous album, 2017's Control, which was an instant classic. But in SOS, she raps for the first time, throws in a full-on pop-punk song, unleashes some unabashed big pop power ballads, and a whole lot of other stuff. Along the way, she delivers some of the most compulsively confessional lyrics of any current artist. It's not a coincidence, I think, that one of the outtakes from this album is called Joni. My colleague, Manka Percante, was already working on some scissor reporting. She did a great interview with one of SOS's producers, Jay Versace, that you should check out on our site. So I thought I'd have her join me for our very revealing interview with SZA about the new album and much more. After a five-year gap between albums, SZA was actually pretty nervous about the reception for this one. As she tells us at the beginning of this conversation, she even had her parents come out and stay with her for support. My dad's here right now actually visiting with my mom. Oh, that's Everybody nice. Everybody came down um, to make sure I didn't lose my mind if the album went bad once it came out. <laughs> Uh-huh. And now we're just hanging out because it didn't go badly. It actually <laughs> went really well. And one of the things Brian and I were discussing earlier is like, I was looking at Kill Bill and I was like, almost 20 million people have listened to this song. I know it's wild. It makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. <laughs> It makes sense to me. I mean, I was also telling Brian earlier, I've been listening to you since 2014. Saw you at Afropunk, maybe 2015. Oh my God, thank you. Afropunk is probably one of my favorite, like, earlier performances. I feel like it really helped me get into festival lives. And, like, they were one of the first people to ever believe in me and think I was interesting. I went to Afropunk religiously from around 2014-ish to when you did Control, and the crowd was so big. It's so lonely, I Watch that growth and to watch everyone catch on and fall in love with your music the way that I did has been really incredible because it's been a really long journey. Thank you. It has been a fucking long journey. I wasn't sure I was going to get here. I'm not. I'm not even going to hold you. I 100% did not think I would ever be in this position. I hate predictions. I hate when everybody else buys into predictions because then... It can set you up for embarrassment and then just like all these things. And I just wish everyone would have no expectations whatsoever at all times. And it's just not the way the world works. Mm -hmm. And it's just scary. Like being in this public arena is super scary. I just didn't think, I don't know. I just didn't see it for myself. And I'm I'm grateful that God saw it for me. I'm just trying not to like act crazy or lose my mind while I'm here. I feel you. I guess I would ask you, when you decided you were going to start singing, what did you expect then? What did you want then? What did you hope then? What did you think would happen then? I just thought I'd be like something really cool and interesting, like San to go maximum, where I would just, I loved her music. I loved how she did whatever she wanted on her own terms. I loved how everything was so unique and we really got to hear Black women be that creative with no boxes and it was hard. And I just... I 
admire that so much. I still admire that so much. Or even like you came me from Little Dragon, same way, like getting to do whatever the fuck you want. Her, their shows were so cool. The lasers were so cool. And like she was doing like the robot and bizarre shit on stage. And it was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I really, maximum, I would, I was happy if I just could have people come that really fucked with me and would show up at festivals and like I could just travel and do my thing and be chill. But I definitely never thought I'd be like commercially popular. That's like the farthest thing from my mind of what I ever imagined or envisioned for myself. And then it's like, now you have to, I guess maybe I don't have to figure out what it means. And then how am I supposed to move if I'm commercially popular? And then but I guess I'm just going to continue to not think about that and then just let whatever is supposed to happen, happen. And just as long as I stay myself, then God will just place me wherever I'm supposed to be. But I definitely, every single um, new moment is definitely a mindfuck and it's definitely confusing because you just don't know what you're supposed to be doing at any given time or how you're supposed to be doing it. You're just not sure because it's because you're not trying and you're not conscious. It's like, damn, can I replicate this? Am I supposed to be replicating this? Or am I supposed to be doing something a certain way to like stay in alignment with this? Or it's just very confusing. I and I'm sure a lot of other young black women encountered you making this music that like people were calling R and B, but is not traditional R&B in any sense, being really earnest and sometimes a little abstract, having this look where your clothes are loose and your hair is big. <laughs> Even when I saw this album cover and I saw the Tims and the hockey jersey, I was like, that's my girl. Like, that's <laughs> this is what I think. This is the person that I fell in love with. And so my question is, when you decided, you know, you were going to be this person in music that you hadn't seen yourself, that you wanted to see, was it challenging to create this new archetype? Think I definitely did not feel that when I first came out. And especially if you remember, like, when I first came out, it was just Janae Aiko, Tanache, Twigs. But it, everyone was, like, fair-skinned and skinny. Mm. And then I came out, and it, I just wasn't any of those things. It's like I still wanted to make soft music or just, like, interesting music and blah, blah, blah. But it was really hard. And everybody was giving more, like, who the fuck is this? Who the fuck is this? And why are you here? <laughs> and bring out Janae. <laughs> when I was opening for uh-huh. that was hard. And I feel like people would approach Punch often like, oh, well, you shouldn't make her over or you should do X, Y, Z or blah, blah, blah. And he would come and tell me like, who would be saying that? And it would be so shocking because it'd be like, I thought this person liked me for who I was. Mm-hmm. But also... I don't know. I didn't warrant. It was like equal parts unbeknownst to me and then equal parts like conscious because I was like, I didn't see that there was anything wrong with being, you know, 200 pounds with baggy clothes and having all these like different emotions and displays of creativity. And I just never thought that anybody would be judging that. It, they were. And it was strange. And I didn't realize that until... Maybe I lost weight and then everyone was behaving so like differently and strange. And I was dressing the same way. They were all the same clothes. They just fit differently. And like my music didn't really change. It was kind of like this same, I want to try this here. I want to do that there. I don't know. It was just really interesting. I don't think it all had to do with my weight, but I think it was just like 
something happened, I think, that it was like, oh, maybe we should try this as a commercially acceptable idea or maybe the music. I have no idea what the fuck the shift was, but I felt it. I felt it hardcore. And then I was like, oh. And then even now, I'm not sure where I fit in in the grand scheme. I think people want to see me like with my ass out and like being hyper feminine and like making whatever. And then they're like, oh, we know what this is. Like we know what this, what this is and we like this, but it's like, when I revert to hockey jersey sizzle or I revert to baggy clothes on SNL sizzle or like any other person that I, I naturally am, then I think, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I prefer that people don't know what to make of me anyway, because I just want to be myself without any expectations. And the best way to do that is to keep shape shifting like aggressively and often. <laughs> sonically and otherwise. You do that all over this album. One of the things that's fascinating about you to me is that on one level, you seem like a person with a pretty high level of anxiety in life sometimes, at least from the outside. But you also seem impressively fearless artistically. How do you kind of reconcile those two things? Thank you. I really just, I feel like ideas have more power than like identity to me. And I feel like most of my creativity is based on ideas that I really want to get off and I can't rest until I get them off. And those have nothing to do with me personally. Like, I don't know they aren't really my identity. That's just something that I see in my head and in my heart and I have to do it. And I believe in that damn near more than I believe in myself. The art is the driving factor that makes me feel confident because it's like, no, I really need I love this image and I in my head and I have to execute it when it comes to like whatever, whether it's the diving board or the mud or sonically when I'm like, no, I really love Blink-182. I really love Good Charlotte. I really want to hear that. I want to hear that because I'm bored personally <laughs> and I have to do that. And then, but that's not an extension of me. I feel like the hardest thing is when I try to make what people think of me. If they're like, oh, she makes R&B, then I, I get terrified about to make like a traditional R&B song because I'm like, I don't really know if this is what people even want to hear in that. But most things are just naturally like, ooh, this is what I want. Like the excitement overrides the insecurity. And I think that is the only way that I'm ever able to accomplish anything. Your mention of Santigold earlier is fascinating to me because when I first talked to her like years ago, she was talking about not wanting to be defined by any boundary and not being trapped in black music, white music. She wanted to have total freedom along those lines. And that makes so much sense to me that she's someone that you like. Yeah, she's an icon, literally. I want to ask also about lyrically, the fearlessness, whether it's self-revelation, whether it's super explicit lyrics, you just seem fearless there too. Fresh squeeze, I'm dumping like press squeeze. I'm horny like suck these, so daring like touch me. I'm just easily, I have a very short attention span. <laughs> I like don't medicate on ADHD or anything like that, which makes it really hard to function on other aspects of my life. But it also makes me really bored, like with everything. Mm. So it's like for me to shift, for me to sit on an album for five years and be working on it and not be bored, I have to start doing completely different things at random times. <laughs> So it's like, even same thing, like with my own lyrics, it's like, this is boring or 
or I said that already, or I just try to think of what haven't I said? What haven't I said? And what am I hiding? What am I usually can tell what I'm hiding from myself or in general? And then I try to just find what I'm hiding and then say that, whether it's a BBO, whether it's embarrassment about my ex, whether it's shame, whether it's insecurity, whatever it is, I just want to I don't know why there's like an inner me that wants to bleed that dry and like <laughs> embarrass myself, but it is very freeing. I have to say that. I don't know why, but it's just, maybe that's the only way that I'm not bored is to do like bizarre acts of self-embarrassment. <laughs> I, I love that. In, in every big project that takes a few years, and I was actually weirdly thinking of James Cameron says something about this with regards to Avatar 2 that's coming out, which took way I'm longer so, than that. I'm so fucking hyped for that. Like I am. It's sick. It's really good. Pressed. I, have to say, I, I saw it. It's really good. <laughs> but anyway. No, you saw yeah, it? Yes, it's insane. But don't get... I, I know someone who took some edibles beforehand and they had to do just the right amount of edibles or else they'd freak out because it's so intense. Oh. No, I would never do that. That is, <laughs> seems like a terrible idea. Whoever your friend is, that's a terrible idea. But but anyway, <laughs> but point being, with every big project, whether it's Avatar 2 or this album that takes a few years, there's usually a low point where it's like, none of this is working. This is never coming out. What was, assuming there was this sort of low point in this process for you and how did you get out of it that happened every month or so every week where i'd be like this fucking sucks i don't want to put this out at all it also happened probably just a few times like maybe up until the last week i texted melissa and was like we don't have to put this out like we could just pull out <laughs> and move it to january and that's it. We can just let this go. And she's like, you can't. You're like crowning. You can't. Everything is loaded <laughs> into the system. You can't push the baby back in. I was like, we can push the baby back in. We can. And I just, all of it is really, even when I was track listing, I was like, oh, this shit is so boring. Or it sucks. Or when I couldn't get some of those things I wanted for like the initial cover idea or things weren't working out. I'm like, let's just put out no cover and no album and just leave everything blank. And all the, this happened so many times. Like I can't even tell you how many times I, it was just the people around me that were just like, I don't know. And then part of me was just like, I just want to get it over with me, my own fate. If niggas hate it, then great. I can never do music again. And I told my engineer, we'll move to India and we'll live on an ashram and we'll take a vow of silence. And that's it. And my engineer said he'll quit his job if this doesn't go well and he'll never engineer again for, any, oh for anyone God. else. And I was like, and there were some times like when Shirt came out because I was like, this song is so fucking old, but I guess we have to get it out of the way. And then when it came out, the response was like, this song is so fucking old. And now I, I told him, I'm like, you need to get ready to quit your fucking job because <laughs> we are leaving and this didn't go well. But yeah, so I just wasn't sure. I really wasn't sure. I had a crazy plan B. And it's now it's like even more interesting to execute plan B, which is to just leave and disappear and get a flip phone and just not communicate. And I still might do that. So I just, but it's definitely shocking. I never thought in a million years that people would like it. And then, because I guess I'm, the internet is such a nasty place mm. and everyone loves to be mean and critique and like 
it's fun to hate on shit. And it's very fun to hate on me. So I'm just like, I guess I'm just going to get ready for that on a larger scale, in which case I will never be outside again. <sighs> and so I just expected everything to go that way. And um, I don't know, it didn't go that way. And it's also really scary that it didn't go that way because I'm like, now what do I do? And then where do I go from here? And what does this actually mean? And when do the tides turn? Like, when does everyone decide that, like, they hate me again or that this sucks or blah, 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 or I don't know. And I, that's unhealthy. That's something I need to, like, talk to my therapist about. But I definitely, I don't know what to expect or what any of it actually means ever. And it, we're just in week one, so it's like, I didn't know what control meant until year five. I didn't know that anybody that it had that impact because I think people have this weird idea that when I dropped control, it was like this crazy hit and it wasn't. It was like this thing that people were like, oh, this is like interesting. This is good. A couple of songs are good. Only now are people like, that was iconic. That was this and that. So I didn't ingest any of that when it happened. I didn't feel any of that like acclaim, quote unquote, or like positive I don't know, reinforcement until very recently where I get to perform at festivals and people are like, I get to headline and, and everybody are, is singing those songs. So I don't even know what this album means until I'm sure like years later. But I'm glad that it went off pretty well so far. <laughs> we Day four. <laughs> pretty well might be an understatement. <laughs> but I also think about my conversation with Jay. He had to detach himself from the applause and the validation. Did you guys talk about that? Definitely been talking to him about not wanting to look or even check anything. Like anything that I know of what's been happening has been sent to me by my friends or like by one of the five fan pages that I'm like really good friends with now because they've been my supporters for like the last seven years and I trust them. But I, I don't, I've never scoured Twitter. I still won't. So I don't really know. I don't really know what the general consensus is or like the arguments or whatever. But I hear things like from my friends and I try not to invest in any of that shit because it can all change overnight. And all that matters is that like I did my best and what I didn't feel I got off, I'm going to try to get off on the deluxe. And then I got to just put the pencil down and I got to just let it be what it's going to be for a couple of years. And, but yeah, it's I definitely agree on not investing in any of the noise. It's not healthy. It's not safe. And none of it is true. It's all like, you're never as good as people say you are. You're never as bad as people say you are. So it's, I don't know. It's all a grain of salt. <laughs> Great One of the things that I was thinking about while I was listening to this album that I think is tied to the idea of the experiences you've had and how you're processing them is whether any of these songs that sound like they're about romance are actually about, for you, something else. Yeah, a lot of them are about, some of it is about public ridicule, like I hate you and being tired of being bullied on the internet. And if you wonder if I And they're also contradicting it. None of it really means anything. Or a lot of it, Good Days being a heavy bit about my grandma to me. And 
and accepting the loss of her. And that was crazy. A lot of it has to do with even expat isn't really even about an ex at all or anything like that. It's just about like, I heard this was a boys club and I don't give a fuck. I got your favorite rapper block. I heard the dick was whack. Your favorite athlete screaming, text me back. Them whole accusations weak. Them bitch accusations true. You hating And I want to see... I want to see what anybody else has to say about it. And then, whereas I do want to smoke and I, I do want to contest whatever else. And I do want to be not nice and all these things. And I think this album was partially inspired by Love Lost, but mostly inspired by my departure from like attempting to be a nice girl. Because I think I've, I've tried to be a nice girl for so long and it's just not who I am inherently. And I think I've done nice things and I am a kind person, but I'm not a nice girl. And that's okay. And I mm. think coming to talk with that mm. and really expanding upon that and exploring that is like this new chapter in my life. Yeah, that makes me think of the bitch accusations are true. Like, that's such a statement. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like someone said that they heard I was mean and, and like, don't work with me. And it really hurt my feelings so bad. And I was like, really? Like, someone thinks I'm mean? How was I mean? And then I realized, like, I guess, bitch. Like, I guess. Like, if that's how you, that's just how life go. Like, sometimes there's some people that'll say, like, I'm the nicest person they ever met. And there's some people that'll be like, this was the most harrowing experience. And I hate that bitch. But that's just, I'm a lot of different people at any given time. And I feel like that's humanity. And that's just who I am. And I spent so much time wishing that I was just, like, the nicest, quietest, like constantly sweetheart girl where people are just like, I just have never met a nicer girl. I don't know why I wanted people to say that about me or maybe because my mom is so fucking nice and she doesn't try. She just is. And it's just like when I am genuinely being nice, I think that's sweet. But it's also like, all right, if you have a blow up or whatever the case may be, cool. That's just who you are. And like, I think my grandma was more of like a go to hell. I don't really give a fuck what you think or this and that and go tell them that I'm a bitch kind of person. Mm -hmm. And my mom is very much like, oh my goodness, I would never imagine in a million years anyone, please don't say that about me kind of person. And um, I'm finding like, without identifying this person is mean, this is bad, this is good, this is blah, blah, blah. Everything is just everything. And I think there's so much visual and like energetic virtue signaling going on the internet, off the internet, in the world, and everyone's just, oh, this person's up to no good, this person, and no one knows what the fuck is really happening. Like, just let shit play out. Some people change. Some things are meant to change the world. Some things are meant to be terrible. That's just life. Because it's like, and some things are meant to be beautiful and make someone into a better person because they really have to hit that rock bottom. Wow, this was trash behavior to really understand I can do better than this. And I think that, um, or even if they're just accepting, fuck all that. This person's been carrying energy their whole life. Like my mom talking to me about how she was darker skinned and grew up in St. Louis and had to be nice Audrey because she didn't want to be dark skinned and problematic and not nice and this and that. But it's no. I feel like when people say, oh, I'm my ancestor's wildest dream. I feel like my ancestors deserve the right to be rude, <laughs> to be whatever the fuck they want, to say no, to not participate in shit, to not have to be stand up members of society, to not have to be mediocre, just like everybody the fuck else. Why we got to be excellent for? 
that don't make no sense. So that we have, so we have value and so that we're like validated in the world. That's stupid. And I'm tired of that. And I feel I just want to be myself and I want everybody to be themselves because everybody has value and everybody has a place in the world, no matter what accolade or whatever the fuck is placed or validation is placed on you from the internet or whether you go into the mountains where there's no internet and no English, no anything like that. Everybody, everybody's playing a part and everybody matters. And I just, I'm just on that right now. So That's so great. People are obsessed with F2F. And I think that's what you were referring to the kind of like Good Charlotte, Blink-182, maybe a little Avril Lavigne in there. Uh <laughs> It's, uh, tell us about the making of that song, Writing with Lizzo, and how many other... I feel like that probably wasn't the only full-on rock song you recorded either. Oh, yeah, that's her... Um, it's not. <laughs> that's her voice on the on that little note on the way out at the end of the hook. It's just like the little melody. But she... We just have so much fun together. We just have... We have so much fun together, and I feel like she gets me, and she's another person who has hella far, like music taste and doesn't fit in anybody's like box of anything and she makes it seem so she doesn't even care like she just does whatever she wants and I just love being with her just as a friend and hanging out so whenever she comes to the studio I just feel like let's drop into some bullshit and I made a whole bunch of rock songs I feel like more than three more than four for this album and they were all pretty like tear like the hook was cruel. They were all terrible in terms of saying bad things about that I've done to people, but it sounded cool. <laughs> and I think that's what all those songs were really about, just being super honest and letting that out. But yeah, I love making, love, love making those type of songs. It's so fun and so easy just because that's who I was growing up. Like how many full on rock songs do you have from the sessions? Maybe five. That's like a five or six. That's an EP. <laughs> a tiny, tiny rock EP. I really. There's so many, just like I have like a bunch of rap songs. I have a bunch of like, I have a bunch of each temperature for sure on this album. I made a whole bunch of versions of me. I will say that. It's, I don't know what to do with them. I might combine them again on the deluxe and just be like, here's some more of this that didn't make the album. Here's, I don't know. There's so many things that um even like making potting season, we'll say it's called publicly. And blind together. That was another era that was like, oh, this is an era of me like diving into something I like really simple and orchestral like sounds, but I like approaching it really aggressively. On the making of the album, you said, quote, a lot of bickering back and forth of what can be on it, what can't be on it. Can you dig yeah. into that a little bit more? Who was arguing for what? What did it come down to? Um, it was me, Rob, and Punch, and Cody, too. Lots of arguing about... And I would ask people that I just valued and respected about, like, who were those people? Like, what sounds best? What this and that? And Punch is really the track listing person. That's, like, what he finds joy in, and that's his expertise. So, like, when he was, like... He'll text me in the middle of the night while I'm like deep track listing, trying to find things I like. And he'll be like, you're making a grave mistake. This isn't what you should be doing, blah, blah, blah. 
And then like my morale is like shot. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I don't know how to make an album. <laughs> and then I'll put the songs on that he wants or he'll play a whole bunch of different songs that I didn't know were on playback and like for other people, for DSPs or whatever. But he's like, these songs have a good reaction. They have to be on the album. And I'm like, I hate this song. I don't want to put it on the album. Or um, Rob, who like produced on damn near everything on this album, who's also my engineer, he'll be like, no. If I'm like, hey, this song is too long. I think it needs to be, you need to cut off this part. He's like, no, I really think that's a bad idea. This can't be cut off. It's so cool. Or I'll be like, oh, I, don't, I really don't like this effect. Or I think this song, like a song called Boy From South Detroit, BMF, that Twitter wanted really bad. Rob nor Punch really cared about that song. It wasn't like they weren't excited about it. And Rob was just like, I don't really, I don't really think this is the song. And then Punch was like indifferent about the song. But I was like, no, I really believe in this. They didn't make the album, but it will be on the deluxe. And of course, it's like the first thing that Twitter asks about. Or Joni being a song that I really wanted on the album. was like this song has been out for years and no one wants to hear songs that were out for years everyone wants to hear new songs from you and i'm like okay of course that's a song they're asking for on the internet or whether it's psa or potting season and he's oh that sounds too much like blind so you can't have both of those on the album because they sound too much alike and people will get bored of hearing that and people are asking where the fuck is psa on the album same thing on Guard Down, another snippet that people wanted from the album. And he was like, no, people have been hearing that too long, too. So it's like a lot of like back and forth. Of like, Punch is an expert. I am not an expert at track listing. It's actually one of my weakest points, period. All I know how to do is make the music that I want. I don't even know how to find a storyline for my album. That's not how I work. I feel like I'm the storyline. And then I look at everything when it's done and, and I'm like, okay, this is who I've been for the last five <laughs> years. And I don't know if it makes any sense or if it goes together, but this is what's hot from that. And Punch would be like, it's not about what's hot. It's about <laughs> what tells the best story and cohesion and blah, 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 blah. And we'll just battle that out for days until I concede. And then, yeah, that's usually how that goes. <laughs> You're getting ready to go on this arena tour, which I terrifying. believe is your first arena tour, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's so terrifying. I have this weird fear of no one coming. <laughs> That's going to really be where you get to like with the people who have like said, we want to hear this and we love it when you do this. And this means this to me. What is your what is your outlook on going on the road and like actually being able to be in the room with the people who this matters? To? Um, I'm really just excited to give people whatever they want, because I feel like I've been gone for so long and people have been kind enough to watch me perform the same set for mm. fucking five years. And that is really annoying. And I get that. And the patience and the love that they've showed me the whole way. It's like, I just want to give them the craziest experience they could ever have and play whatever they want, whether it's unreleased songs that they thought they heard on the internet or... Whether it's their favorite album cuts or fucking deep cuts from 2012. I don't care. I just want to give them what they deserve and make it beautiful. That's my biggest goal. And I'm really excited. And there's nothing I enjoy more than being on stage and performing. It's way different than this whole like 
putting out shit on streaming and then watching people yell about it on Twitter. It's like way more human and it really makes it all worthwhile. To me, that makes it matter because that's when you get to connect to people and make a difference in people's lives and move energy around. And that's magical to me, for real. We'll see you on the road. Hope so. Please come. That would be amazing. Please, please come. And that is our show for today. Thanks so much to SZA. Thanks to Monkaper. Please go and subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And maybe leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that is always deeply appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.